So I exhort the elders among you, as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Franklin. Uh, let me just stick here. I'll just hold it. I'll put it here. All right. If, if Len says vestibule one, vestibule one more time. Come on now. Oh, gosh. And apparently it's like greenish-blue shirt night because like half of us have the... It's good. If not, it's okay. It's okay. Hopefully, one of the things that uh, Lem and I have talked about over the course of the last few months is um, that we like about worship here at Redeemer is that we take, and hopefully you can sense this and you experience this, but we take uh, the gospel and Christ and the worship and the liturgy uh, very seriously, and we don't take ourselves very seriously. And uh, that's just the way it is. So. <laughs> I especially don't take Lem seriously. So... <laughs> preach, preach. And now we're going to talk about elders. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of Christ that we can sing about, that we can have our spirits refreshed after a week of who knows what, of things that are hard, things that are broken, uh, things that are desperate, things that are painful to come back together. Uh, in the presence of one another, uh, in your presence, and be uh, refreshed by the gospel. We pray that you would do that for us. Open our hearts and our minds now as we read your word and teach us from it. In your name, amen. So I grew up in the 90s, the, the good old 90s. You remember the 90s. There were slinkies. Remember slinkies? Was that the 80s? Well, I remember it as the 90s. There was, um, well, okay. Maybe that wasn't such a good example. I need someone to review my examples for me. Someone, TV. So, but there was, okay, I'm not even going to try to do the rest of this illustration. But so I, I remember the year, I think it was probably fourth grade, that the toy that I wanted for Christmas, so, so, so bad, probably should have been Tickle Me Elmo. It wasn't. It was, it was a yo-yo. Does any kid in here, do you guys have yo-yos? Yes? See that, again, ruining my illustration. Okay, do you, have a v, do you know what a VHS tape is? Okay, so we, I grew up going to Blockbuster. We'd go, you'd get so excited to go down to Blockbuster and get your VHS tape and bring it back and then swear under your breath when it wasn't rewound, even though it clearly says on there, be kind, please rewind. Okay, this is the 90s. But, um, Though that, like, I realized the other day that we don't even have a, we don't even have a DVD player in our house, right? Things change quickly. 
Cultures change quickly. Um, toys change quickly. These things change quickly. And one pastor uh, put it this way, and it's super succinct, and I love the way that he, uh, that, he, that he puts this. He says, if you marry the spirit of your own generation, you will be a widow in the next. If you marry the spirit of your own generation, you will be a widow in the next. There may, there may be perhaps no more uh, significant way in which the church right now in 20th, 21st century America has married the spirit of our generation besides that issue of leadership. The issue of leadership, church leadership. The ideas behind power and authority, the idea of hierarchy, the way that fame has crept in and changed the way that churches operate, church leadership operates. We all know it. You can go and Google pastor on Google News and what you find will not be happy, right? There's moral failure left and right. Like half of the big name pastors that you've ever heard of have had some significant moral failure. There's abuse of authority. There's these huge platforms. That's why we have that Instagram account that I've mentioned before, Preachers and Sneakers, because it's like just pastors in there like, $5,000 sneakers, and it, there's, there's fame, there's, there's platforms to build, there's churches being split over, how do we deal with church authority and church leadership, and oftentimes church leadership, le- leaders in the church, it feels no different than any other kind of leadership in any other kind of organization, right? Have you experienced that? And that's, that's often the way that what our experience is with leadership in the church. And it leads to us, me as a pastor, other pastors, people who are not pastors, who are church members, you, being confused and skeptical and frustrated at and about pastors. And we have all these expectations about what a pastor is supposed to do and what a pastor is and how a pastor is supposed to act. And you may not think about it very much, but you have this expectation when you come into a church building or you come into a church community of who the pastor is and what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to act and what that's supposed to, to look like. And very much right now in our culture, those expectations of what pastoral leadership is supposed to be are informed by the spirit of the age a lot more than they are the scripture. And that's, that's problematic. And so tonight, we desperately need Peter's exhortations to elders to understand what is an elder supposed to be, what is a pastor supposed to be, how are they supposed to act, what are they supposed to do, because if we're going to do what Peter has been talking about for four chapters, which is be faithfully present in the world, to bring the gospel witness and message to the world, we really, really, really need good leadership in the church. We can see that. There's a lot of churches that have been derailed because of bad leadership, where they could have been having a faithful presence in the world, but they don't because there's leadership crisis. So we're going to talk about three things. What is an elder, according to Peter? What does an elder do? And what is an elder like. So let's let Peter help us understand what church leadership in 2020 can be about and hopefully help uh, reshape some of our expectations of what a pastor is. So he writes this. This is chapter 5. The passage that that Clay preached two weeks ago comes right before this. It's about not being surprised at suffering. and, and, um, And the last verse says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's talking about faithfulness in suffering. And then he says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Stop. He says, I exhort you 
elders. You're like, well, when we talk about pastors, how are we talking about pastors and pastoral failure and pastors and sneakers? Well, here's the thing about the New Testament. You may have heard this before. The New Testament uses the word pastor, elder, overseer, and shepherd interchangeably. When it's talking about an elder, when he says, I exhort you elders, he's talking about one group. Okay, the word elder in Greek is presbyteros. That's where the word Presbyterian comes from. Uh, the word overseer is the word episkopos. That's where the word episcopal comes from. And the word shepherd through Latin gets to us as pastor. So this is one of the best passages actually to see that when Peter's talking to pastors or elders or shepherds or overseers, he's talking to one group of people. There's a lot of different church governments out there. There's a lot of different ways to structure churches. But in, in the conception of the New Testament, when we think about elders and pastors and overseers and, and bishop is the word that's been translated in English with episkopos. It's one group of people, one group of people that are who? That are the leaders of the church. Every community has leaders, right? You've got states have presidents and countries. There's states have governors. Countries have presidents or whatever. Towns have, you have, a, you have a mayor in your town. Maybe student bodies have presidents. Families have moms and dads. Companies have CEOs. So every community you're a part of has leaders. That's so apparently the way God designs things is that there's going to be leaders in every group of communities or every community. And yet those um, and th- those those leaders go by all different kinds of titles, right? I'm the, according to the IRS, I'm the head of household in my house, right? So that's head of household. But to Christian, I'm husband, and to my children, I'm father. And all those kind of words are referring to the same role, which is leader of my house. It's kind of the same way that these terms are working in the text. They're all kind of referring to different aspects of the same person's job, which is to be the leader in the community. And it's interesting because Peter sort of, I think, makes up a word because he says, uh, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And this fellow elder is just two Greek words shoved together. Clay talked about this two weeks ago where Peter's just kind of shoving stuff together and making up words. And he identifies himself, Peter the apostle, identifies himself with the elders of these churches. Again, we think of Peter up here as an apostle and then maybe the elders of the churches down here. And he's saying, no, I'm, there's one group of people and it's called the leaders of the church. But why is this important? Why, why make a big deal about this? Because in Peter's conception, the conception of Paul and I think Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, there's one class of leader, like one official group of leaders in the church, and it's called elders or pastors. Like sometimes we think of pastors over here and elders over here. A pastor is an elder, and an elder is a pastor, according to the New Testament, according to Peter. There's just one group, and it's called elders. Right, right now in our church, we're still under Carmel's eldership, but in our kind of context, we have Lem and I as the elders of our church. And um, we're both elders, we're both pastors. And this is what we would call, and you'll hear me use this word in the future, is called the plurality of elders. Always having more than one, but always sharing authority and leadership together. So we are both, we are both pastors. It's so funny, when, when I'm in the community talking to other pastors, it's really sometimes hard to explain our relationship to people. Because you're like, is he like your worship guy? Or is he your assistant pastor? It's like, no, no, I'm a pastor, and he's a pastor, and we together are pastoring the church and sharing the authority and the burden of doing this job. It's, so it's, it's, it's kind of been funny um, to, to be able to explain that to people who have trouble understanding that think he's like, you're like my sidekick or something. It's like Batman and Robin or whatever. Like, no, 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 this is not Batman and Robin. This is Batman and Batman, okay? Um, Batman's probably not the right illustration. <laughs> Superman. No, that's very much against the theme of the sermon. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. 
And the idea here is that that in the, the plurality of elders having multiple leaders who are equal together and share leadership, that there's a care and concern and love that Lem and I have for each other that then kind of spills out into the congregation. Doesn't mean we always agree. Doesn't mean we always like each other. Doesn't mean we always are hanging out all the time. But it means that we have this care that runs deeper than just friendship that is bound, bounds us together to, to together shepherd and lead the church. We're not just business partners or colleagues or teammates, but we actually lead together. Hopefully you can see how this sort of pushes back or at least begins to push back on the spirit of the age when it comes to leadership. Right? One of the main ways we see leadership in our culture is celebrity leadership, celebrity power. Right? And the biggest problem with celebrity is distance of that person and that leader from actual ministry. Because there's so many levels, there's so many tiers, there's so many whatever, that the, the people with the power, the celebrities, would get further and further away from the actual ministry that's happening on the ground. Andy Crouch, used to, I've quoted him before, he actually, he used to be the editor of Christianity Today, wrote a fantastic article about this, and I want you to hear what he says. Among the many dark gifts of power is distance. Distance from accountability, distance from consequences, distance from the pain we cause others, distance from self-knowledge, distance from friendship, distance from the truth. One of the ways that the plurality of elders helps this, only seeing one tier of leadership, is that Peter as an apostle doesn't get further and further away from the actual leading of the church. And so having a, a, a leadership structure where there's only one there's only one group of elders that has immediate access and no distance away from the actual ministry is a safeguard against the spirit of the age of celebrity power, where power can be used in ways where it's not intended. Now, brief aside before we move on to the next thing, and that this form of government, which is a Presbyterian form of government with elders, eldership government, I don't think it's required by this text. Okay, there's a lot of Episcopal the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, there's structures, there's hierarchical leadership. There's lots of different ways to structure a church. Baptists typically have congregational government where um, the, the people, the, all of the members of the church are the ones with the power and the authority. There's a lot of different ways to structure a church. If you want to hear my explanation of that and walk through that, I'm happy to do that with you. We're not going to do that here. Lem and I believe that this structure of having a single group of elders called the plurality of elders that lead the church is the primary way to honor both the New Testament's teaching and Peter's teaching here. And I'll leave it at that for right now. So that's what, it, what is an elder. An elder is a pastor, is a leader of the church. Pretty simple. So if he's talking about the leaders of the church, what are those leaders supposed to do? I thought you'd never ask. It's very interesting, right? He, he introduces his thought and says, I exhort you, do this. I'm also an elder. And then he says in verse two, one thing, shepherd the flock of God. I was studying that this week. It's like really frustrating. Like where's the job description? Like you've probably had to write a job description before. Like where's the deliverables? Where's the measurables? Where's the qualifications? Where's the who reports to who? Where's the, where's the task definition? Where's the like 20% of my time goes here and 20%? Where's the, oh, where's the job? This is a terrible job description, Peter. Right? And I think part of the problem is that this idea of shepherding is much more accessible to the people reading this letter originally because they literally knew shepherds. I don't know anyone who's a shepherd, so the idea of shepherding is a little hard to get my mind around and what it actually means. And, and a lot of different people have kind of gone at it in a lot of different ways to summarize this. Uh, two of my favorite, one of them's a, a pastor named Zach Eswine says, elders shepherd, 
with prayer, presence, teaching, and planning. That's one way. Bob Thune is another one. He just uses four words. That shepherding means lead, feed, care, protect. Okay, well, there's a lot of different ways to, to skin that. The big idea at the center of shepherding is caring for people. That's the idea of it. And, and as you think about the idea of caring as the, as the main job of a pastor, of an elder, you can see how that pushes back against the spirit of the age in the idea of a pastor being and a leader being an achiever. Somebody who gets things done. Somebody who makes it happen. Somebody who takes the hill. This is the CEO model. Like the person who can go out there and get it done and set it up and make it happen. That's, that person should be the leader because they're the one that's making it happen. Right? Or it's the person who can manage really well, who can set up systems and run systems and make this happen and make that happen and keep track of everything. That's oftentimes the idea of a pastor. It's the spirit of the age. The achiever. Get It's the American value of efficiency, getting things done. And we've turned that into what we think a pastor ought to do is get things done, Mr. Pastor. That's what we're supposed to do. And yet that's not what Peter says they're supposed to do. It says they're supposed to shepherd, which is about caring for the flock. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about this, but I'm going to move on from this point for a very specific reason. And that is that the New Testament authors in all of the pas- almost all of the passages that have to do with leadership in the church have very little to say at all about what an elder or pastor is supposed to do. They say shepherd, they say oversee, they use these big words, and then they move on. Because the New Testament almost has, the writers, they almost have this obsession, not with what a what a pastor is supposed to do, but what a pastor is supposed to be like. What is the character, what is the kind of person who is supposed to be a leader in the church? What are leaders in the church supposed to be like? So let's listen to what Peter says. He says, shepherd the flock of God in verse two that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is not a what passage, this is a how passage. There's three distinctions, and these three distinctions set up a radical, different kind of leadership than we're used to seeing in the world, and and even, unfortunately, in the church. Here's the three distinctions you can follow through the text. He says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight. Here's the first one. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Okay, that leaders in the church are not supposed to be drafted like the military draft. We're like, you look like a good leader to get up here and be a, be a leader, be an elder. And when I was thinking about this, I thought of, I'm a big um, fan of parks and recreation. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's about a parks and recreation department in a little town, fake town in Indiana. And the, the boss, is his name is Ron Swanson, and he's supposed to be this like all-American, loves bacon and, you know, whatever. And there's this one quote that I, just, that I just love. He says this. This is the boss of the Parks and Recreation. He's a government employee. He says, the less, the less I know about other people's affairs, the happier I am. I'm not interested in caring about people. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. <laughs> we still never talk sometimes. Like sometimes leadership tends to tends toward this, it's lazy, hesitant, like reluctant, like if somebody's got to have this job, so somebody's got to be a leader in the church, so we get, but might as well be me. Might as well be whoever we can get to do it. And, and Peter says, no, the kind of person who is a leader in the church is a person that really wants to do it, 
who eagerly, willingly desires. And Paul says in 1 Timothy, if anyone desires to be, and he uses the word overseer here, but if anyone desires to be a pastor, wants to be a pastor, he desires a noble task. But the idea is that there needs to be a desire there. No person should ever be a pastor because they, they have to, because they're being drafted. Okay? And what this does is it really raises the bar on what it means to be a pastor or an elder. You have to really want to do it. It's not just a box you can check. It's not just a title you can wear. It's not just a thing you can show up to. You have to want to do the entire task. You have to want to be a certain kind of person to be a leader in the church. And there's this burden of weight of what that looks like and what that means. And Peter says, you have to want that burden. You can't just be like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a fun thing to do. So he he starts out by making sure we know the kind of person who's a pastor, who's a leader, who's an elder, wants to do that, wants to do it. It's probably the easiest distinction that we see. Number two, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. It's the same way he says that God loves a cheerful giver in in 1 Corinthians. That's why he puts as God would have you in there. And then he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You say, well, eagerly for what? He doesn't put a direct object on that. Not for shameful gain, Eager for what? So it must be the opposite of shameful gain. And what is the opposite of shameful gain? The opposite of shameful gain is giving, is service. The spirit of the age is that the person who's a leader is the person who's made it big, who, who kind of gets it done, who, who merits it, who deserves it, who has what it takes to be in power. And Peter says, no, the kind of person who's a pastor is the person who is eager to serve, eager to give. Like there's a, there's a church um, that I recently heard about that has, is doing for their staff uh, honor training for the lead pastor so that everyone on staff will know how to properly honor the lead pastor. That's shameful gain. That's not monetary gain. But that's being a pastor in order to get something out of it, to get authority, to get power, to get honor. If you are a pastor, if I'm a pastor, if I'm in here because I like that you think I'm your pastor and you like that and that you're honoring me, like Peter says, get that person out of leadership right away. You can't be a leader if your desire is for anything that points in. This is so much different than the way we think about leadership. Leadership is the person that gets to be in charge, that gets this, that gets this perk, and that perk, and this perk, and gets the pastor's parking spot right outside the church. Right there's, my friend lives on a street here in Charlotte, really old, small church, the, the sign on the church, uh, literally the name of the church, and underneath it says, proud to be old-fashioned. I don't know what that means. There's like seven spots in the church parking lot, and the one next to the door says, pastor parking only. I'm like, shameful gain. <laughs> like, it might be small, but that's shameful gain. You're the pastor, so you should get to park next to the door. No, the person should be eager to park at the other side of the parking lot so that they can walk through the rain so that someone else can come inside. Eager to serve, eager to give, eager not to do things for ourselves. Zach Eswine is a pastor. I quoted him earlier. He says that oftentimes our idea of being a pastor, and we, we cloak it in all the spiritual languages, to do, uh, to do large things famously as fast as possible. That we want to go into, into ministry so we can build a big organization and get things, get famous and get big and get fast and do, do lots of stuff for the kingdom, of course. All the while, like, you know, lots of shameful gain. God-honoring authority 
protects, cares for, provides for, and promotes the welfare of others, not of yourself. That's what Peter is talking about. A leader is a person who protects and promotes and cares for the welfare of others. And Peter says, there is gain in this. The next verse says that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your crown of glory. But it's not the kind of glory and not the kind of gain that we often want when we want to be leaders. Makes us stop, makes me stop, makes Lem stop. Makes any, anyone who wants to be in leadership stop and say, why do I want this? What do I want to get out of this? Not for shameful gain. Elders are eager to serve and to give. And the third one not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And I think very much most importantly, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is incredible. <laughs> this is incredible. The idea, our very understanding of power and authority rests in being able to make things happen to tell people what to do, to get your way. Like that's our, basically that's our very definition of what a leadership and authority is so often. And he says, this word domineering literally just means having power over. So he says, do shepherd the flock not having power over them. Not having power over them. Remember this story, the, the disciples are walking down to, it's in Mark, disciples are walking down to Jerusalem and they get in, James and John get in a little fight. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Same thing, domineer. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I think it's really interesting. There's all these, what, four verses Lots of stuff to pastors. And then he, there's four Greek words to church members. You see them there in verse five. Likewise, and it's more in English. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The word younger there doesn't mean younger in age. It just means younger in faith or just whatever that means. He's using that as a shortcut to talk about people who are not leaders. People who are not leaders, submit to the elders. That's what it says. It's four little words. You know Why? Submission is a voluntary act. If I'm demanding or Lem's demanding or any elder or pastor is demanding that you do something or using authority and power to exert to get you to do something, that is domineering. That's not submission. Submission cannot be demanded. It ceases to be submission as soon as it's demanded. As soon as I am using the, the position that I have as your pastor to get you to do something, that's domineering. As soon as you are doing something, not willfully, that's no longer submission. We, we, have, we, we don't understand submission. We think of it as this terrible word. It just means like willingly doing something. He's, and literally, the, 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 he's saying, hey, church members, should be willing to follow. Be willing to follow. Right after he told pastors and elders, don't domineer over the people in your flock. Our, my authority as a pastor, Lem's authority as an elder, it rests according to Peter, in our modeling of Christ-likeness. Like, my authority only goes as far as your willingness to follow me. That's literally what it says. And that is based on 
my ability to demonstrate Christ-likeness and to serve you willingly. That's very, very different than what we think about when we think about leadership, isn't it? Am I wrong? Am I missing it? Like if, if, if Lem and I don't model Christ-likeness likeness, and invite you to follow willingly, then if that's not the way that we're leading, then don't follow us. Can I say that for you? Hey, don't follow us. Okay, the aside of that is that we're going we're gonna to screw it up. We're going to mess up. We're not Jesus, so we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to make errors in judgment. We're going to be domineering, and we're going to not be willing, and we're going to whatever, and we're going to do all those things. Christ-likeness in our context, in a broken body, in a broken, is when you come to us that we are humble, as he's about to say, and that we respond with grace. doesn't mean we don't mess up. I'm not saying only follow us if we're perfect. I'm saying only follow us if we model Christ-like humility. What if leading is mostly about embodying the things that we're inviting others to follow? If you're a community group leader, it's an important note. What if leading is mostly about embodying the things you are inviting others to follow? Not being in charge, not setting something up, not managing the schedule, embodying the things that you're inviting other people to follow. That's what Peter is teaching. That, that, that this is a totally different way of thinking about leadership. That it's rooted in character, service, and sacrifice. That an elder or pastor is a person who's called by God to be a leader of a, of a community by being an out front example of what sacrificial life looks like. That's what he's saying. The question's not like, should we have leaders in the church? Some are like, we just shouldn't have leaders. It should just be egalitarian. That's a really bad idea for lots of other reasons. We should have leaders in the church, but the question is what kind of leaders we need to have. We need to have leaders, regardless of what they're doing, who are being sacrificial, service-oriented, using their power on behalf of others. Same way that we talked about marriage, the submission leadership thing in marriage, right? Remember this from several, two months ago? That for various reasons, God designed men to have certain kinds of power. It's been that way throughout all of history. Men are supposed to use that power for the good of others, that's what leadership is. Peter says, when, where is it? when the chief shepherd appears, he immediately reminds the elders they're not the chief shepherd. There's someone shepherding you, and it's, it's Jesus. That we're all under authority. It's Jesus' authority. He's the chief shepherd. The last verse in that story about James and John arguing, Jesus says to them, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Leadership is modeled and enabled by Jesus. How did Jesus lead his sheep? By dying. Like this is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus won your followship, not by domineering, but by inviting you based on his sacrifice to follow him. That's the kind of leadership that, that leads people. Peter knows this, okay? Peter knows it better than anybody else. You may not know this story. In John 21, Jesus is resurrected. They go out, they have breakfast. Jesus and Peter are talking. They have this little back and forth about, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yeah, I do. And he says, feed my lambs. He says it three times. And then, then Jesus says something fascinating, right? He's telling him to shepherd his people. He's telling him to be a good elder. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. 
He says, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You're like, okay, he's being taken to the nursing home, right? No, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Immediately after calling him to be a shepherd, he tells him, you're going to die just like me. That's leadership. First, to sacrifice. That's why he closes with, clothe all of you, clothe yourselves in humility. Mutual submission, mutual humility. It doesn't remove distinctions. It does, to be humble with, with one another doesn't mean that we don't have leaders. It means that both of us, leaders and followers, serve one another. Those with power, serve. Those without power, serve. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. For our church, we are going to make every effort to create actual structures that will facilitate this kind of leadership, this kind of service, this kind of membership. In April, we're going to start our church, first church membership process where we all together, all in the same playing field, commit to a certain list of things that we are going to do for one another. You raise your hand and say, yes, I am willing to serve this body. I am willing to submit to the leadership Hopefully when you read the line that says, I'm willing to submit to the leadership of the elders, you hear this sermon in your head. That what I'm asking you to do, what Lem and I are asking you to do as a church member is follow us to the guillotine. Right? Like if in 10 years from now, preaching against certain things is illegal in America, you know who's going to prison? Me. Not you, me. I'll be the first one in prison. You can come after. Bring some croissants or something. Okay? <laughs> first in sacrifice. First in service. That's what I'm aspiring to. So I'm asking you to hold me and us to. We're going to have an elder process. We walk through these kind of things throughout the New Testament, not only discovering what it means to do the tasks of eldership, but who are we? Are we being the kind of people who can shepherd? Are we intending as an elder, are we desiring to shepherd, or do we want something else? We're going to have an intentional, over a year-long process. As we add new elders, they will be the same as Lemonai. They will be pastors. They will probably not be full-time, but they will have the same kind of level of authority than me. We won't have this huge org chart where I'm at the top and, you know, the most recent elders down at the bottom. It's a single level. And we're going to write governance structures. That's what we've been working on, the bylaws. We're working on writing down on paper how we're going to govern our church and lead our church so that we can ensure that we are not infested with the spirit of the age. Okay, true humility cannot be faked. Okay, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Right, I can stand up here and talk about this all day. You will know over time whether what I'm saying is true to me, for me or not. I can't fake it. I can, I can pretend for a while. I cannot fake actual service. You will know because you will feel what kind of leadership I am bringing to our church. Okay. If we're going to be faithfully present in the world, we have to reject the spirit of the age. We need cross-shaped leadership in our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Peter. We thank you for his uh, death also on a cross, uh, demonstrating uh, what it means to be uh, an elder and a pastor. And we pray that you'd uh, bless and protect our church from the spirit of the age, that we wouldn't try to do things um, for selfish gain, 
wouldn't try and do um, large things famously as fast as possible, but that we would be content uh, in living in our place and time with our people, that you would, um, with one another, teach us to humbly, uh, to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. We thank you for the opportunity to give tonight, and as we give and as we think about the times that we uh, give to our church that's not on Sunday night, that you would um, bless those offerings for your, for your kingdom. Um, teach us to rely on you in giving. We pray this in your name. Amen.